Uh, if you're interested in getting baptized, if you've been something you've been thinking about wrestling through, even if you have questions about it, uh, come and talk to me. I'll be hanging out afterwards. I'd love to chat with you about any questions you have. Uh, you can go to our Next Steps area, talk to anybody there, and uh, we'd love to celebrate that with you. We're going to be doing that tonight at 6 o'clock right here. We'd love to see you be a part of that. Uh, man, we are, uh, my name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. Great to have you with us. Hello to our online campus and to the hundreds of thousands of you watching there. Uh, great to have you there. Just messing with you. Uh, and then... Uh, you're like, holy cow, I did not know. Uh, and then those of you in our parent viewing rooms, it's a great option if you do have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. Uh, man, that's a great option. So we have been in this uh, series uh, called The Creed. And I want to let you know, we made this announcement last week. I just want to remind you, uh, this fall, we're going to three services. And so I just want to continue to plant that thought in your mind uh, as we get through the summer. And I know you don't not, you do not want to think about fall, right? Uh, because uh, summer already came and went, it feels like. Uh, but I just want you to know, we are making that adjustment and our service times in the fall are going to be 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11, which means the last service will end at noon, which means before football. You're welcome. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so here's the deal. Three services starting in the fall means we need to staff all of our kids' rooms times three every weekend. And so if that's something that you'd go, you know what, I would be willing to jump in there and serve with kids, it would make a huge difference. And I'm telling you, not just for the fact that uh, we need to staff rooms, but it makes a difference in the lives of kids. It makes a difference in the lives of their families. And because there are people who are walking through our doors and they're exploring church for the first time and uh, they're coming from either a, a, a different church experience, a different background or no church background whatsoever and not knowing what to expect. And just the idea that we can have uh, environments for their kids that are safe, that are, their kids are having fun, that they're learning about the love of Jesus. That makes a huge difference, not just in the lives of the kids, but in the lives of the parents and those families. And you do not know what hangs in the balance of your decision to say yes to serve in one of those areas. And uh, the impact that you can make in the life of a kid and the life of a family cannot be measured this side of eternity. So if that's something you're considering uh, that you'd like to do, again, it's not until the fall. Uh, that's what we're gearing up for. But I just want to keep this on your radar. Uh, and just let us know. If you write fall kids on the back of your uh, connection card, just to let us know, hey, I've got some interest in that. That will really help us out. All right. We're in the last week of this series. Uh, the Creed has been such a fun series. And uh, we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed. And for those of you that are like, man, it's my first time. And you feel like you're coming in at the end of the movie here, uh, let me just bring you up to speed. If you missed any of the other weeks, you can check them out online. But this is all about the, this statement. And it's a statement that's a great summary statement. It's not the scriptures, but it points us to truths that are found in the scriptures. It's this foundational summary statement. And the whole purpose of this is that it gives followers of Jesus unity around these things that we can believe and that we can build uh, our faith on. And these things are really essential to faith. And so uh, to kind of kick us off today, uh, I'm going to share a, an opening line from a great story. And after I read this opening line, it could be from a movie, it could be from a novel. See if you can guess what movie, what novel this is from. Uh, see if you can name the story once you hear the opening lines. So here's the first one. It goes like this. Uh, once upon a time in a faraway land, a young prince lived in a shining castle. Although he had everything his heart desired, the prince was spoiled, selfish, and unkind. Anybody know? Beauty and the Beast. That is correct. By Gabrielle de something something. Okay. As the original author of that story. Okay. Next one. Here's the next story. See if you can get this one a little tougher. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. 
Tale of Two Cities. Oh, we've got an intellectual crowd here today. All right. Charles Dickens, Tale of Two Cities. This one, okay, a little tougher. Here we go. This one starts like this. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. Anybody? This is 1984 by George Orwell. All right. So you're like, man, I'm not a reader. I got you. Okay. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars, George Lucas. That's right. And so the reason I bring this up, the reason that uh, I say, you know, these stories is because to be a human being is to be narrative. Uh, We love stories. And from our earliest days of our youth, we are told stories that begin with uh, once upon a time and end with happily ever after. Right? These are the great stories from our childhood. And, and when you grew up with the great stories, you come to realize every great story has a compelling beginning, a middle, and an ending. And the beginning is where they introduce the characters. They introduce the main characters and the sub-characters and kind of the plot. And, uh, and then something happens in the middle. In the middle, the characters that you've kind of grown to know and love uh, face some kind of a conflict. They face some kind of a challenge. There's a struggle. There's something that needs to be overcome or accomplished. And then that you reach towards the, the climax of that middle, and what you have is this conclusion. And, and a compelling ending makes for a great story, doesn't it? It's just a compelling ending. I believe that the story of God that is revealed in the scriptures is the greatest and most compelling story of all time. And the Apostles' Creed gives us a summary statement of this incredible story. And so we have this uh, great opening to the line, a uh, great opening line to our story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's this incredible opener. And that's why the creed opens up with, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in the middle of the creed, we talk about Jesus overcoming our struggle with sin through the cross and resurrection. In the last few weeks, we've talked about our present reality in the middle of the story and that the Holy Spirit is with us and leading us and that we are uh, the church, the universal church, that we celebrate the communion of the saints, that uh, we are uh, participating in the forgiveness of sins as we point people to Jesus, that we get to experience the forgiveness of sins. All these things are things we believe in that are core to our story. And today we get to talk about the ending, happily ever after. Because great stories have great endings, don't they? And you know this. You've been to a movie where you're like, this is a pretty good movie. And you get to the end, and the ending just drops off. And you're just like, what was that? Right? Or maybe you've watched a show where that's happened. Maybe it was called Lost. (laughs) And you're like, man, that's seven seasons of my life. I'm never getting back, because they did not wrap that up at all. And uh, that's just great endings make for a great story. No matter how tragic the plot seems or how sort of sideways things go for a little while, if it has a good ending, then what happens is you you're, you're feel comfortable closing the storybook or walking out of the movie theater. And you think about some of the movies or some of the stories that just have these great endings, right? How about uh, after a long embrace with Elliot, E.T. gets back on the ship and he joins his family and they fly off, right? What a great ending. Or uh, Nemo's dad heads back for the long journey home with his long lost little clownfish. Or Marty McFly, right? He, he goes back to the future and he rescues his parents' budding romance and he saves this time-space continuum. I mean, there's so many great endings, right? After three hours of atrocious acting and forced dialogue, the ship finally sinks and Leonardo finally freezes to death. You know, it's like... <laughs> so what is this happily ever after that the creed alludes to that is the hope for followers of Jesus. 
We say, I believe, I believe in this, I believe in this. And, and even when we recognize we're still in the messy middle, we recognize Jesus has come, but he hasn't come back yet. And so we're in this messy middle where we've experienced forgiveness of our sins. And we've experienced healing to a certain degree. And yet it's this foretaste of what is to come. And the creed tells us, it gives us this overview of what our happily ever after is going to look like and how that will give us hope to live for today. And so each week during this series, I've been reading through the creed and uh, we're going to read it again today. Uh, as we wrap up the series though, today I'm going to invite you to read it out loud with me. And if you would say this, hey, you know what? That is not my thing. Totally cool. You do not have, there's no pressure for you to participate in this. If you say, you know what? I don't even know if I believe this stuff. Uh, don't feel any pressure to read this or say this, but you can follow along on the screen and uh, you can also follow along on the back of your outline. And if you want to read this out loud together, I invite you to do this with me. Here we go. The Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. That is the Apostles' Creed. And so we're going to jump right into this first statement from the Creed that deals with uh, this idea that we have uh, that Jesus is coming back again. And it says, Whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And so the first big event that fo followers of Jesus look forward to is that Jesus will come back again. And here's what you need to know. Number one, the return of Jesus is a promise. The return of Jesus is a promise. It's something you can count on. Jesus said, I am going to come back again. And it would take us all morning to read all 318 uh, scripture references from the New Testament alone, which is the, the portion of the scriptures that are written after Jesus came the first time, it would take us all morning to read them. There are 318 scripture references to uh, the return of Jesus. In fact, there are eight times as many prophecies about Jesus coming the second time than there are about Jesus coming the first time. That's pretty fascinating. And so Jesus himself spoke often about his own second coming. He taught about it in stories and in illustrations. And uh, he told his disciples, I'm coming back again. And then uh, 40 days after his res resurrection, Luke tells us exactly what happened when Jesus went away from them the first time. Luke actually is a guy who uh, traveled with a bunch of Jesus' followers and got their stories and recorded uh, a lot of this history. And so in the book of Acts, which, uh, by the way, as a kid, I thought it was Acts, A-X-E, like... Uh, it's not. It's A-C-T-S. So it's, it's like the acts of the apostles. It's like the way they behaved. It's, so anyways, that was neither here nor there. But in this, uh, Luke records for us. And here's what he says. Uh, Jesus has just gone into heaven. And after saying this, he was taken up, talking about Jesus, into a cloud while they were watching. So you can imagine, they're like this. Jesus is like ascending into the air. And they're just standing there. And it says, as they could no, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven... Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So there's this promise. Consequently, all of Jesus' 
followers, uh, every one of them believed he's coming back again. And they taught that he is coming back again. And down through the years, Jesus' followers in every generation have held to this truth, this promise that gives us hope for how we live today. But why Jesus is returning is what makes it such a great promise to look forward to. When Jesus comes again, he's bringing change with him. He's bringing restoration with him. He's bringing renewal with him. When Jesus comes again, he's not coming as he came the first time. He's not coming as a, a, a baby born in a humble manger. He's not coming as a uh, sort of carpenter turned rabbi teacher. When Jesus comes again, he's coming in all of his glory. He's coming as the King of Kings, as the Lord of Lords. He's coming with all authority over heaven and earth to bring restoration, to renew and restore. And he's bringing with him perfect justice and judgment that the world is longing for. Because we want judgment, even though that word freaks us out a little bit. Here's what we discover. In the creation narrative, when sin entered our world, we know this, this world became broken and twisted in a way that it does not operate the way that God designed it to operate. Now, you might be somebody who's exploring faith. You're trying to figure some stuff out. And you might go, you know what? I'm not a Jesus person. I'm not a God person. I'm not a Bible person. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, but I'm at this point in my life where I'm exploring or someone sent me this video or I'm watching it somewhere or whatever. But here's what you know intuitively. Even, even aside from the scriptures, aside from any type of religious upbringing, aside from uh, any uh, sort of uh, Bible verse that says it, here's what you and I know intuitively from our own experiences. There is brokenness in our world. There's darkness in our world. There's, there's hatred. There's violence. There is uh, selfishness. And, and all of that stuff that's in our world makes it difficult for us to connect with one another the way that we are designed to. Because ultimately, if we're honest, we don't need a Bible verse to tell us this, there's brokenness and darkness and sin in me. And there's all of these things in you. And so from the beginning, we've been trying to figure out how do we fix that? How do we fix the brokenness? And yet we know, like, to, to an extent, my relationships are healed because of Jesus, but they're not ever fully healed. There's always somewhere along the way where I'm working and, I'm, and I'm, I got to fight selfishness and I got to fight insecurity and I got to fight these things because there's something in the world that is just broken. And it's broken in me and it's broken in you. And so when Jesus comes back, he's going to bring judgment when we hear the word judgment, it freaks us out a little bit. And the reason it freaks us out is because we think about justice and judgment from a position of the accused, right? We, we tend to think about the things we've done wrong and the things that we hope will never be brought to light. And we feel like, okay, judgment means God's going to punish me, right? And, and he's got this like, you know, he's, he's got this Apple TV of my life and he's going to just show it in front of everybody. It's like, no, don't play that. You don't want to see that. That's how we think of it in our minds. It's like, this is going to be so embarrassing. And, and we think about judgment. We think about punishment. We think God's going to pay me back for all the wrong that I've done. But the word judgment, it, when it says he's coming to judge the living and the dead, really has a lot more to do with justice. And justice, primarily, when you think about it from God's point of view, not maybe even from the way we think about justice today, but justice is not primarily punishment for the wrongdoer. Justice actually means the restoration of all things. It's setting things right. That's true justice. Even when you see crimes committed today, it's like, well, justice will prevail. I mean, the, the only way for justice, for true justice to actually happen is for somebody to get their life back, for somebody to get their fortune back, whatever was taken from them, given back to them. 
That's really, in our hearts, we know that's what justice really is. It's the restoration of things, things being made whole, things being healed. And so listen to how the Apostle Paul describes judgment when he's writing in his letter uh, to the Corinthians. He writes this. This is really fascinating. Because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we, have all, we already have, Jesus Christ. He says the foundation, that's why this Apostles' Creed series is so important. It's a foundation that we build on, and it points us to Jesus. And he says we build our lives on Jesus. This is what you were building on. But then he continues, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flame. Now, what is, what is uh, the Apostle Paul saying here? He's saying, look, our lives that are, we're being built, sometimes we tend to build things and we invest in things that have temporary value. Wood, straw, hay, sticks. These things have temporary value. And sometimes we actually invest in things that have eternal value. Gold, silver, jewels. It is a metaphor because when fire hits wood, when fire hits straw, when fire hits hay and sticks, it burns up. But when fire hits silver and gold, it actually refines it and brings it to its purest form. And here's what, here's what Paul is saying. Like, we're building on this foundation of Jesus, but each of us makes a decision with how we're going to build our lives, how we're going to live. And the idea through the scriptures that is consistent with the character of God revealed in Jesus is that this judgment is actually restorative. It actually takes those things of our lives that are temporary and burns them away, and then it brings those things that are eternal, and it actually brings them to their purest form. It purifies, and it refines them. And Paul says, then there's this reward for those that have these eternal things, that have invested in things that have eternal significance. There's this reward. And sometimes I wonder, like, okay, what is the reward? I've thought about this. I've been told about rewards as a kid and kind of grew up with that idea. And so I've researched it, and I'm like, man, what is this reward? And I can tell you now with 100% confidence, I'm in line with every scholar on this topic when I say, I have no idea. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. But here's what I do know. The scriptures make it clear that whatever rewards we may experience pale in comparison to the main reward of living an eternity in the presence of God in a whole and healed and integrated new heaven and earth. I mean, that's, that's the reward, right? I, I think about it like this. When my kids were younger, uh, any, of, any rewards we can earn through this life because we live in a certain way, ultimately they come from God and we, we just give them back to him anyways in eternity. That's the whole point. The whole point is like, God, everything good came from you and we get to bring it back to you as a way to express our gratitude and love to you. That's the whole point. And so when I think about that, I think about like when my kids were younger and when your kids are young and they're like, they're old enough to want to give mom a gift for Mother's Day, but not old enough to have any money. Right? They're like four or five years old and they're like, it's Mother's Day. I want to get her, I want to get her something. And you're like, get a job. But instead you go, no, all right, I'll, I'll let you do like a little chore around the house to earn some money so that you can buy something to give her, right? 
And what happens? They do a little chore, and we go down, we buy something. And what is that? It's a reward for something that they've done simply for the fact that then they can give it back because they want to express their love. When I think about rewards in heaven, it's very much like that. God, I want to invest in things that have eternal significance because that's, that's who you are, and that's what we were created for. That's what it's all about. And then when I eventually get those things, I, just, I want to give them back to you just to say I love you and my gratitude. And so here's how we live. This is my response to this, is to live with perspective. I live with perspective. Here's what that looks like. Uh, this is not original with me. A guy named Francis Chan uh, has done this illustration, but I think it's so fitting. When you think about this rope, this rope represents eternity. And this is kind of our life here and now. Right here. That's our life. And here's how a lot of us think. A lot of us don't think about all of this. Look at all this eternity goes on and on and on. And if this rope went on and on and on forever and ever and ever, and then this is our, like, you know, life here on earth. And here's what a lot of us think, especially in the United States of America in the last 40 years. We go, all right, this is like ninth grade. And in ninth grade, my grades start counting. So I got to really start like studying better because then I can get into a good college and then I can have a good job so that I can make enough money so I can really enjoy this part of my life. I mean, I mean, forget all of this. Like, I just want this to be happy. And you're like, that makes no sense. When you think about it like this, it makes no sense whatsoever. But this is how, in the United States, in the culture that we're a part of, this is how it goes. It's like, all right, well, work really hard here. Yeah, you got to do some stuff here. You got to do this. You got to work really hard here. And then this, man, this is living. <laughs> ah, yeah, that's amazing. It's like, what about all of this? And, and here's the perspective that we need to have. We need to live with perspective. That doesn't mean that we live scared. It means that we understand our lives today make an investment in eternity. The decisions I make today, I'm either building with straw and wood and hay. I'm either investing in things that one day are just going to burn up anyways. And notice Paul says the builder will still be saved. You're still going to have a relationship with God. You're still going to enter heaven. But some of those things will just get burned away. I want to I spend my time investing in things that are actually going to last forever. I want to think about all of this. I want to live here. I want to invest in those things that have eternal significance. And so here's what I want you to know. Uh, if you're following Jesus, you have nothing to fear. You can live with this perspective. That one day you'll be rewarded for the things that you invest in that have eternal significance. And I want to encourage you with this. If you're not yet following Jesus and you're trying to figure that out, nothing is holding you back. I want you to know Jesus is for everyone and Jesus is for you. The whole point of this story that we're a part of, that God is building a family and he wants you in it. That's it. There's nothing holding you back. The only thing, there's the only thing that is keeping anybody from saying yes to the invitation of Jesus is our own pride. And if you are ever willing to set that aside and say yes to Jesus, you are invited into the greatest story of all time. And if you are following Jesus, let me ask you this question. Whose kingdom are you living for? Whose agenda are you advancing? Is it all about, is it all about this or are you actually living with this in mind? Are you actually thinking through, man, what would it look like for me to take this section of my life and actually invest it in this area, in this part of my life? Now, there's another part of this creed. We're going to jump to this next section. I believe in the resurrection of the body. For followers of Jesus, because Jesus died and rose again, death has been defeated. And that means that even when we die, these mortal bodies, they, they will be resurrected and turned to immortal so that we can forever live whole and healed with Jesus. 
And so here's what we need to understand. Number two, the resurrection of our bodies is a promotion. The resurrection of our bodies is a promotion. All right, this is, this is actually really good news. One of the claims that Jesus made about himself is, I am the resurrection and the life. So whoever believes in me, whoever puts their trust in me, okay, not behaves a certain way, but whoever just puts their trust in me, even though their body dies, they will live forever. Here's what that means. Here's the promise that we have, that uh, when our body dies, only the material part of us dies, right? Our soul continues to live. In fact, the Apostle Paul uh, would say that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But when Jesus comes back again, our soul will be given a new, perfect, eternal body, and we will always be with the Lord. Now, I understand that that stirs up a whole whirlwind of questions for a lot of us. I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this week. This is a, a whole chapter where the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth about resurrection and about what it means for us today. This morning, I'm going to give you some of the highlights. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes uh, this resurrection to a new body in 1 Corinthians. Let me read you some of the Cliff's notes. Check this out. Someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When, you're, uh, when, you're, uh, when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. So he says, look, if you're going to grow a plant, you don't just plant that plant, you plant a seed. And then the seed dies, and then a whole new thing grows out of that. That's the incredible beauty of resurrection. Resurrection happens all around us. It's a part of creation. It's a part of our own bodies. Every day we have cells that die and new cells that are growing in their place. I mean, resurrection is built into the rhythm and the framework of all that God has created. And so Paul says, look, just like you plant a seed in the ground and something else comes out of it, your body, he actually continues in the next few verses, he says this, uh, it's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. Think about that. He says, in the same way that a plant is put in the ground, the seed is put in the ground, and then it dies, and it comes up as something new. Same thing with us. Our bodies are buried. Now, sometimes people have this question, well, what about cremation then? Like, what does that mean? Uh, listen, uh, let me, if you're worried about that, okay? God created us from the dust of the ground. Pretty sure he can do it again. If you're cool with universe making, then I'm pretty sure he can handle cremation. Don't worry about that. The promise is that we will be resurrected, that he can give us a brand new body. And so he continues in the next several verses. He says this, uh, what I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Our physical bodies are mortal. They, they, can't, they can't fully contain the, the immeasurable uh, amount of God's full glory, right? He says these dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. Now, in this day and age, in their culture, to blow the trumpet is a signal that there has been a, a, a military victory. And you would blow the, the final trumpet signifies, hey, we're coming into town, we're riding into town, and we are triumphant over the enemy. 
And so this is a symbol. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, when the last trumpet is blown, that's a signal that death has been overcome. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are still living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. See, we will not receive a different body. We will receive a renewed body, a perfect version of how God created us to be. The bodily resurrection entails total physical healing. No disease, no cancer, no death, six-pack abs for everybody. It's amazing. It's, it's complete mental healing, right? No mental illness, no Alzheimer's, no dementia. It's complete psychological healing. No shame, no depression, no regret. And so what is my response to that? My response is to live with hope. I'm going to live with hope. And here's why. For followers of Jesus, while death is certainly something that we grieve, it is never something we fear. Because we know what happens at the end of the story. We know that victory has been won and that when Jesus comes again, all things will be as they should be. And so even when these bodies of ours are breaking down and even when death comes, we live with hope. That gives us hope for the ones that we've known and loved that have gone before us. We recognize we will be reunited. Our great hope is recorded in the last line of this creed, I believe in life everlasting. Our life in this body on this broken planet is not the end of our story. In fact, here it is. The story ends with a new heaven and a new earth. The story ends with a new heaven and a new earth. God's ultimate plan is to bring everything under the loving lordship of Jesus, everything on heaven and on earth under his loving lordship. All through the story of uh, scripture is revealed to us. He's going to restore and redeem all things that sin has broken. That means that when Jesus comes back, all things will be as they should be. And the final eternity for followers of Jesus is what is called new heaven and new earth. God will redeem the earth from the brokenness of sin and the brokenness of death and we'll live in perfect connection with God and in perfect connection with each other and in perfect harmony with all of creation. That is the promise. That's what eternity looks like. In fact, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, he would later uh, write about this and, and he would describe it this way. He would say this, uh, we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And what does that mean? Righteousness is sort of a Bible word that just means rightness, that things will be made right, that everything will be as it should be. So what does that mean? Can you imagine enjoying, enjoying all the good and beautiful things that you enjoy now? The perfection of, like we get these little tastes of things where things are just great, a perfect sunset. A, you know, we get these moments where it's just a perfect uh, moment of joy with friends or family or uh, a, a moment with a loved one. We get these glimpses of, man, when things are in, in perfection and when things are in harmony. But one day we'll get to enjoy that in perfection for eternity. You think burritos taste good now. Just wait till the new heaven and earth, man. We get life everlasting as God intended it uh, from the beginning. And we get that forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And so what's my response? My response is to live with purpose now. Live with purpose. I invest in those things that have eternal value that are going to make a difference in eternity. I get to live with purpose. The goal for followers of Jesus is not to get the heck out of here. 
This is, this is how so many followers of Jesus think, and it comes from a, a somewhat twisted idea of heaven and eternity because we, we got kind of handed something in some of our faith backgrounds that you don't ever find in Jesus. And there's this idea with a lot of followers of Jesus that, okay, if I can just, if I can just you know, hang on to the end of my life, I get to get to heaven. I get to get the heck out of this messed up, broken world. And I get to get to heaven. God's going to, the mothership's going to come and get us all the heck out of Dodge. You don't find that in Jesus. You don't find that in the scriptures. What you find is this. Heaven is coming to earth. God doesn't abandon earth. He actually restores it and renews it. And for followers of Jesus, uh, we get to be a part of it. We get to begin to usher in the kingdom here and now by the way that we live and by the way that we love. We bring heaven to earth. It's not, let me get out of here. When I die, I want to go somewhere. It's, God, let me live in such a way now that heaven starts to move to earth. That's how we live. It's why Jesus taught his followers to pray this prayer. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here in earth as it is in heaven. God, let my life, I pray for the strength to live in such a way that your kingdom is starting to be reflected in mine. God, I pray for the courage and the conviction to live in such a way that I'm, not, I'm a citizen of your kingdom first and that my life reflects that. And as I do that and as you do that and as you do that and as each one of us goes, yeah, that's how I want to live, we create this growing community called the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven starts to invade earth and it does it through you and me and the way that we live and the way that we love. So our, our mandate as followers of Jesus, when we understand there's going to be a new heaven and new earth, it's not, okay, hang on so I can get out of here and get there. It's God, let me live in such a way that there starts to come here through me. And one day, all things will be as they should be. So we bring hope now, and we bring forgiveness, and we bring redemption, and we bring restoration. And your life as Jesus' follower is not meant to experience tiny little flashes here and there. It's meant your whole life to be lived every day on mission where you live, work, and play, pointing people to Jesus. Now, you might be skeptical of this. You might say, okay, that's a cool story, bro. Like, Jesus said he's coming back. The first century followers of Jesus thought he was coming back in their lifetime. He didn't. It's been a couple thousand years now, so where is he? I 100% understand that skepticism. I totally get it. And it, it feels like sometimes like, okay, God, you, you promised Jesus is coming back, but, you know, what are you doing? Wake up and smell the Starbucks here, you know? And Peter actually addresses that. At one point, Peter actually says, you know, it feels like God isn't keeping his promise, but he's not, he's not being slow. He's not like he just forgot. He's actually being very patient because he wants everybody to have the opportunity to respond to the invitation to be a part of his family. And that's why we do what we do. We want to give you the opportunity to respond. And so for those of you who are exploring faith, would you consider saying yes to Jesus? There's nothing holding you back except for your own pride. You don't have to behave your way in. You don't have to earn your way in. The message of the scriptures is that God is building a family and he wants you in it. That Jesus came once. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He offers forgiveness free to you. Community, connection with God and his family. And one day he's coming again to make all things right. And all you have to do is say yes to that invitation. And if you've never said yes to that before, I want to invite you, whether you're online or in the room, say yes to being a part of God's family. We're going to pray. Just say yes to this prayer. And then afterwards, we're going to receive communion together. But if you would say, man, that's my next step. I want to say yes to Jesus. Then just agree in your heart with this prayer. God, 
Please forgive my sins and forgive me. I recognize there's brokenness in me, not just in the world, but it affects my own heart. And I pray yes to your invitation. I believe that Jesus came. I believe he died and rose again. And I believe he's coming again. When he comes again, I want to be a part of his family for all eternity. And so help me here and now to live with purpose and perspective and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the great ways that we get as a church family to celebrate this is through communion. And so on your way in, you should have received one of these. If you did not receive one, we've got some uh, people in the aisles that can give you one. If you just want to lift your hand, they'll make sure to put one into your hands. But uh, this, uh, it was really, we find this in the scriptures on the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested. He took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. And every time that you receive this, together, I want you to remember that sacrifice. And here's what's awesome about this. The creed, the Apostles' Creed, is meant to be a a summary statement, and the purpose behind it is that it provides unity for us. We don't weaponize it. We use it to get on the same page together, to go, these are the things that really unite us. It's all, it's all built on this foundation of Jesus. And regardless of whatever else we, differences we have, we talked about this last week, whatever differences we have, the one thing every single one of us has in common is the grace of Jesus. And so the table, this, this is what unites us. Together, we may not see everything eye to eye, but here's what we know. I've been forgiven, you've been forgiven. I've received his grace, you've received his grace. That's what the family of Jesus is rooted in. And so that means that while we disagree on some things, we can actually disagree on things, not see everything eye to eye, but still love each other unconditionally. And that points the world to how this church should behave. So Jesus took the bread, said, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. And every time that you receive it together, remember the sacrifice. And so as we remember his sacrificial love through his broken body, let's receive together. In the same way he took the cup, he said, this represents my blood, which will be poured out for you. It's a new covenant between God and humanity. There's a new way. Previous to this, you had to go to the temple and worship, but now Jesus says, now God is accessible to you anywhere, anytime. It's unconditional love and acceptance. Put your trust in him and follow him. And so this helps us to remember the sacrificial love of Jesus and that we have access to God anywhere, anytime. And so as we remember the sacrificial love of Jesus through his spilled blood, let's receive the cup together. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for sending Jesus into this world. Thank you that it's the one thing that unites us. Thank you that through uh, the, the sacrificial love of Jesus, we have community back with you, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, have, uh, we can experience healing and unbroken community with each other. And God, we recognize one day all things will be as they should be. So may we hold on to that promise. And may it cause us to live with a sense of perspective and a sense of purpose and a sense of hope. We thank you. We commit this week to you. In Jesus' name, amen.